Well, good morning, LCM. Good morning. We are currently seven days away from Pastors Nick, Peyton, and Judah's last service with us on this side of the Atlantic. Yeah, our church is well positioned for the greatest advancement of the gospel to date within the One Association. We're launching the One Association Europe. Hallelujah. Now, I say that we're well positioned because we've spent the last two decades cultivating generational ministry within this house. In the very same moment that three pastors are being sown into the nations, we are seeing three pastors planted within this house that are cultivating the generations that will follow men like the kibbutz into the nations of the world. Amen. Today is going to be a good day. A good day. Have you ever considered that your life will be summarized after you're gone in a single epitaph written on a stone marker above your grave? Yes. So that your relatives don't have to think about it too much. They can pick it from a drop-down menu at most cemeteries. Are you picturing it yet? It's all they'll have to say about you, beloved husband, good father, avid sports fan. What if I told you that it is possible to respond to the Lord's grace in your life with such costly actions, such profoundly difficult sacrifices, such extravagantly lavish deeds that they would be remembered Forever. What if I told you that you are destined to do things that seem wasteful from an earthly point of view, but that are truly and profoundly beautiful in the eyes of heaven? What if I told you that such deeds are not only possible, but that they will accompany your proclamation of the gospel in every nation that you proclaim the gospel in. Is there anybody in this house that is interested in hearing about this radically different form of Christianity? Are you interested in a life that will be remembered in eternity? The truth. Do you want the truth? I can handle the truth, Pastor. They can handle the truth. The truth is that everyone in this room has a dirt nap coming. Unless, of course, you live until the return of Jesus Christ. You know, I've spent much of my life in the medical field, and thankfully, that chapter is being cauterized and amputated. The truth is that we are both fragile and tragically mortal from a physical point of view. I see it every day. I've seen it this morning. Yeah. None of us know exactly when our expiration date is. Life is fragile. We just know the date is coming for each one of us. And it could be any day. But today, we have an opportunity, because you're in this room, to wrestle with something beautiful. We have the opportunity to put into practice deeds that will resound throughout eternity. On that, turn with me to Revelation 14, verse 13. 
Somebody say beautiful when you get there. Beautiful. All right, church, we're going to do this differently today. Oh, yeah. Somebody say beautiful. Beautiful. All right, if every one of you did not just speak, you are fair game. If you think it's obnoxious that I call your name or I come to you, I think it's obnoxious if I ask you to do something and you do this. So we're going to speak to you. You're going to speak back to us. You're going to engage with us because we're not wasting the next hour of your life. And we're not going to let you waste the next hour of our life either. Do you want to hear about a radically different form of Christianity? Yes. Do you want to engage in beautiful things? Yes. I'm talking to you, Jerry. Do you want to engage it? Oh, see, I do know your names. Listen, our, our time is very short. We got like two more of these. That's, a, that's it. And Eric will come off this stage and grab you. He will I stand you up in front. position here, <laughs> here now. He <laughs> Are you guys in Revelation 14? Someone shout beautiful. Beautiful. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. The day is coming for each one of us when our labors are over. And the only thing that will have significance in eternity were the daring attempts of faith that we undertook for the glory of Jesus Christ. Those costly and beautiful endeavors will never, never be forgotten and in truth, they will follow you into eternity. Say beautiful. 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 Not James Blunt kind of beautiful. No. He can go smoke something. We're talking about a whole different kind of beautiful. Church, do you love this family? Yes. yes. I love you. Every single one of you. This is a family that pays the cost. Because you consider the king worth it. And you consider your life forfeit to give him beautiful things. These are beautiful days, but they are also costly days. <laughs> I and my brothers are experiencing excruciating feelings of loss when contemplating that this is our last week with the kibbutz, our last months with Baljadar and Regina. As well as experiencing total, teetotal, Bim, excitement for the mission that lays ahead of these men and the future kings that sit on this front row, that sit with them. Church, we have amazing things ahead of us. We couldn't have scripted it. We couldn't have planned it. And if we would have known what it would have cost, we might have not endeavored to do it. But the good thing about following your king is that he leads you by his righteous right hand. Church, these men are attempting great and glorious things for Jesus Christ, and they will be successful. Now, it's likely, no, it's not likely, it's, it's definite that most everybody in this church is experiencing similar and a beautiful mixture of emotions like the one we're talking about. It is both costly and excruciatingly difficult. And it is so amazing, and we are so excited that we get to participate with the king of all the earth. You feeling us back there, Big Slice? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Or these days, Slim Slice. Oh, Rick Slice. Where you okay. at, John? John, you feeling us yet? Yeah. Yeah, these are our two criers in the church. Yeah. Not me, though. I'm going to hold it together today. Oh, we're going to get them. Maybe. Isn't it always like this when you're striving to bring forth life, though? When a baby is born, the mother experiences extraordinary difficulty. And at the same time, when that baby is put into her arms, she experiences euphoric joy. Literally, uh, it, it comes from within her, the joy that she experiences when she holds that baby. Additionally, we, we just did our cottage. When a loved one goes on into glory and you see them enter in with a righteous life, you see them walk into eternity with held, heads held high. That is glorious. You celebrate it. It's amazing. And you experience feelings of loss. These kinds of events, well, they are beautiful. And that is the, the title of our sermon today. Beautiful. Beautiful. Now, Pastor Eric asked you to think about what your life is going to say. What, what, what message, what one-line message. You know, it's, it's very hard for us to, to be concise about anything. But, but your one sentence, what will it speak? Would it speak a beautiful message to the king? Why don't you guys turn with us to Exodus 32? We're going to go through an old-fashioned six-scripture string from yeah. the law, the yes. prophets, and the writings in the Old and New Testament. Yeah. And we're starting with a foundation stone that's built this church. Exodus 32, verse 26, it says... Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him and he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. Wow. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord. Each one of you at the cost of his son and of his brother. So that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. I saw the look on some of your faces and... Miss Patricia, I've known you my whole life. We said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one of you at the cost of a son. Patricia went, I understand. Ordained at the cost of a son or brother? Is it a tragic thing or a beautiful thing that the ordination of the priesthood was at the cost of unbelieving family? Two of you are brave enough to answer. I thought y'all were going to talk to me today. Yeah. Tragic or beautiful? Yes. Of course, the answer is both. It's tragic that unbelievers lost their lives. But it is a truly beautiful and unforgettable expression of devotion to the will of God that these Levites were obedient even when the cost was so high. I remember what it was like to have Jesus appear in my room, speak to me, and then I immediately encountered the cost. 
Some of you, when you think about that, you think of the cost of turning away from your sin. That's not really the cost. The cost was the moment that I told the people in the church that I attended, they thought I was insane. The moment that I told my own Baptist parents that Jesus Christ spoke to me, that event was just a little too close to the David Koresh incident in Waco, Texas for them. The moment that I told my biological father, he, I can't even repeat what he said. What I can tell you is within a few short weeks of being born again, I found myself without a place to live. My own parents turned me out of the house. Not because I was visiting topless bars as I had been doing before I got born again. Not because I was brawling in a parking lot as I had been doing before I got born again. But because the presence of the Lord was upon me and the hunger for the word of God that was in my life was convicting to them and they hated it. Ordained at the cost of family. Ordained into the work of God at the cost of family. Tragic or beautiful? Well, let me tell you something beautiful about it. A young married man trying to figure out how on minimum wage to support what would be a new marriage and a beautiful beginning in ministry. There were pressures at work. What happens to the one guy on a blue-collar construction job that is reading his Bible when everybody else is being profane? What happens when you're on your knees praying while the other men are doing the things that men do on a work site? Who do you think is the first one that you want to lay off in a crowd full of carnal people I imagine it's the one that makes you feel the worst about yourself simply by standing next to them. But if you can stand up when your own mother and father... Anybody want their mother and father to love them? Anybody want their mother and father to support them? Anybody count on mom and dad to be your cheerleader no matter what happens? Well, if you love Jesus Christ enough that if your own mother and father throw you out of a house, take the key back, send you with a trash bag of your own clothes, but not the furniture in your room, not anything else in the house, and not a dollar to your name, then when your boss puts a little pressure on you, hey man, you don't have to wear that Christian t-shirt. You don't have to sing songs all day long. You could just fit in. Well, can I tell you the beautiful part about that is if you don't bend for mom and dad, you won't bend for your boss either. Can I tell you that when your social acquaintances are like, dude, you don't have to be so radical about this. I'm a Christian too. And yes, my life was filled with horrid things, but you don't have to be quite like you are. There's another way. If you will not bend for your own family, then there's no chance you're going to bend for your Facebook friends. That's kind of a beautiful thing, isn't it? This was a beautiful ordination into the faith. Painful. It felt like loss, but in the end, it was actually a beautiful thing. In fact, Luke 14, 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother 
and wife and children and brothers. We get enough ands in here and sisters. Yes, even his own life. He cannot be my disciple. My sister and I raised each other. We separated immediately over the gospel. Now my whole family is dead. The gospel will always cost you something. You have to decide whether that's tragic or it's beautiful. It's these costly and beautiful moments that show us exactly how much Jesus means to us. Yeah. The cost that you're willing to pay for something, well, it determines its value to you. The ordination into the faith place devotion to Jesus above all other relationships in my life, and that is a beautiful thing. My king made the most costly sacrifice, and all I wanted to do was reciprocate with costly sacrifice for him. Now I'm standing on the stage and I'm facing a separation of a different kind from believing sons from believing grandsons, from the finest men and disciples that I have ever known and those that I think are the very future of the kingdom. Can I be honest with you for a minute? I'm dying in more ways than one to see this beautiful gift given. This is beautiful. Oh boy, here we go. So if, yeah, no, we know what we're fixing to, to say, and it's, it's heavy. Is it tragic or beautiful? <laughs> yes. What is it, church? Both. If separating from your earthly family is hard and costly, how much more when you have to separate from your church family to remain on the Lord's side? You know, leaving my worldly ambitions... My earthly ambitions, it was costly, but it wasn't costly enough to make me feel the sting of loss. The reason is because what I stepped into, meaning the body of LCM, it so surpassed my wildest dreams that what I was leaving behind, it seemed minuscule. However, this morning, I stand before the people who have become my family. This family is the most precious thing that I have. <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. cry, Cody. Yeah, we're trying to hold it together. But I'm standing before the most precious thing that I have. It did come at great cost, but what I gained, almost free of charge, it's the most precious thing that I have to give up. <laughs> Honestly, it's, it's all I have to give up. I've devoted eight years to this body, and I'm leaving it at the feet of Jesus. It's like a precious stone that I've kept with me, and now I get to give it up with joy at the feet of Jesus, even with tears. The cost has not felt any higher this week because I thought, I thought we had more time, but that is also changing. Our April 3rd launch date has been supernaturally brought 
to next week. Next Monday. Next Monday, I'll be leaving with Pastor Elder Eric to embark on the greatest expansion that we've seen in our community's history. You know, for the past 10 months, I've been working in the medical field at great cost to me, at great cost in the time that I get to spend with my family, my wife and children, and great cost to spending time with this church body. It's also cost me a great deal of effort. Man, a great deal of effort. But it's like a precious stone that I get to lay down at the feet of Jesus with tears of joy tomorrow morning. Whoa, did y'all catch that? Tomorrow morning. Not a month from now. Tomorrow morning. But it's like a precious stone that I get to lay down at the feet of Jesus. But I can't help but stand here today looking at my family, the most precious thing that I have, and reflect on the friendships that I built. Cue tears from Adam Cora right now. Adam Cora is one of my closest friends and companions. We've cultivated a life in just a few short years that is anything a man could ask for. Loyalty, devotion, compassion, wisdom. A man who will stand with you through anything and even do things that you enjoy. Maybe not kingdom oriented, but sharing life that is just a blessing and you enjoy every moment of it. If you're doing it with Elder CrossFit, it is kingdom oriented. Elder CrossFit. Adam and I thought we had a little more time. We've been talking about it. But God has different plans. That doesn't discount what's been cultivated. It becomes like a precious stone that I get to lay down at the feet of Jesus. You know, one of the most amazing things that have happened this week that I, I've been reflecting on. I intended to finish my quarter with work and talk about, we'll talk about all the details of that later. I intended to complete the work because I'm just not a man who likes to quit. But I am a man who likes to be directed by the Lord. And sometimes that means quitting the decisions that I made that were not his will. But I was strengthened by two men Thursday night. That's Gabriel Stevens and Chris Riosora. Now to you... You remember that it's about having an unfettered faith, and you were encouraged as well. But that message strengthened me on the precipice of the greatest move of God in my life that I've had up to this point. That's always been the case. When I came to LCM, the very first person that I met that invited me into this room was Gabriel Stevens. I was in a place where I needed direction from the Lord, and God sent a man who's a man now, he was a young, very young man. He was my height at that time, <laughs> believe it or not. And he said, hey, God's doing something. He has something for your life that he wants to do. Would you come and worship? Just come and see it. And that changed everything. Shortly after that, I had to leave the secular workforce, and I needed a man who would accompany me from that desert region into the life-giving spring that is LCM. That man was Chris Riasora. Those men from the beginning of my walk with Christ have always been there being men who say God has something and I'm here to help you get to the next step. 
You can't make that up. Because it just hit me while I was standing up here, staring at these men's faces. But these friendships that have been cultivated, and these relationships that have literally saved my life and allowed the call of God to come about, they're like precious stones that I'm laying down at the feet of Jesus. Now, if that wasn't hard enough, something almost equally as hard is watching the friendships and the relationships that my wife has to give up. For me, the sacrifice of giving up for Christ, I both know it in my mind, my heart, and my spirit that he is worth it and I want to lay it all down for him. And it feels good to sacrifice for my king, even though it costs me everything. But I'm watching my wife lay down her friendships with mighty women of God like Ella Treaster. I, I can't explain. I can only show you with tears in my eyes and the very poor words that I have to describe what that, that emotion is. To watch someone that you're in covenant with for your whole life lay down friends at the feet of Jesus that she can't take with her because they have an amazing call of God on their life. I'm watching her lay down friendships like her friendship with Stephanie Cora. Not that the friendship goes away, but the proximity that's so important for our relationships, she gives up like a precious stone at the feet of Jesus. Her relationship with the ministry wives, man, with Jen being there always by her side. Miss Christy, Miss Christy, Miss Cass, Wimp, yeah, bl blend them together. Those relationships that she gets to call on at any moment will no longer be there forever. And if that wasn't hard enough, watching my children, who all they've known in their life are your children. All they have known is your faces. Remember, you're the most precious thing that I have. We don't have extended family where they're constantly surrounded by grandparents and friends and aunts and uncles. You are that. You are their family. It's all they've ever known. And we get to lay that down like a precious stone. Can I tell you it's beautiful in the eyes of Jesus? Can I also tell you that it feels tragic? It's tragic that River will not get to play with the dang girls. That we get to live together for just a little bit. <clears throat> Can I tell you how much it hurts to watch Barzillai at this age cultivate something beautiful with Cannon, and he's going to give it all up. Man, and I know he doesn't quite understand it yet. And it's difficult. These are all like precious stones that we're setting at the feet of Jesus. They're soaked with tears, but they're beautiful to us, and they're beautiful to King Jesus. So Acts 20 is going to help me further explain how I feel about this body. This is Acts 20. We're going to pick up in 36. And as you're turning there or following along on the screen, someone shout beautiful. beautiful. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. Much weeping. <laughs> they embraced Paul and they kissed him. Being sorrowful. Most of all. Because of the word he had spoken. That they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. 
The great cost that we're coming to grips with is the reality that we will not see many of your faces for a very extended amount of time. That's the great costly stone that we're laying down, and we got to come to grips with it. Nonetheless, we sacrifice these precious stones as a beautiful offering to be lifted up to Adonai, to be lifted up to our king. We want to say that this morning, it's a beautiful thing. I want to answer the question for you. Is it tragic or is it beautiful? It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It started as yes because that's what you're wrestling with. But I'm giving you heaven's answer in advance. It's beautiful. beautiful. What is it? Beautiful. beautiful. Speaking of costly and being ordained at the cost. Church, I want to tell you right now, this is beautiful before the Lord. These tears are beautiful because we get to give them. So if you're like me, when you came into this body, you came fleeing the fires of hell because you knew you were damned. Whether that is coming straight out of the world, like straight out of a club, into getting radically transformed by Jesus, or if it was fleeing a, a safe, nice, quiet, comfortable, complacent li Christ Christian life, you came fleeing the gates of hell. And honestly, and Pastor Wade knows this, I was shocked that Jesus wanted to save me. It was, it was actually very surprising, and to be honest, I didn't believe it for a while. Salvation would have been enough for me. That would have been enough, because I didn't deserve it. But that's not all I, I received when I came to this church. I found that I wasn't just being saved, but I was being ordained for a, pur for a purpose. At a cost. The same cost. We've all paid this cost. Leaving sin, that was easy. I, I, I was freed from that. But there were costs that were associated. And in addition to, to finding that calling... What I also find, found were men that lived the word of God. Men that opened their homes, that transparently displayed what it looked like to wrestle with your salvation and decide that Jesus was worth it. That's what I found when I got here. I found biblical teaching like you would not believe. You all, have you experienced biblical teaching like you cannot believe? Yes. That's what you were gifted. And that would have been enough. What I did expect to find, and what makes this beautiful, is that I found family. The kibbutz, their consistent, loyal love, transparency that shows what it looks like to be an actual man of God, and their sacrifice, they became my family. I'm not even going to look at them right now. These men are not just my friends. They're not just my pastors. They are my brothers. That is what the body of Christ is. And if you're at a church where it's not family, I'm sorry, that's not the body of Christ. What makes this work, the reason we can do what we do together, the reason Paul could kneel with those men and weep, but go do the will of God and what made it a beautiful thing before the Lord, 
is that they're family. So the time is upon us where we don't get to do this quite like we've been doing it. We're still going to do it. We're not dying yet. But we are dying to see the will of the Lord accomplished. And that's a costly thing to me. It's also a beautiful thing. And if that wasn't enough, to be a pastor of this amazing body, and to think about the quality of life that's been fought for by all of our pastors, the examples of the word being put into practice, faithfully calling out and calling up the saints to their high calling, opening their lives and opening their homes, having the right word at the right time that comes from a costly relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what's been modeled for us. And you know, these are some big shoes to fill. And it weighs on me when I think about filling that role in your lives. Not that we won't do it. I know we'll do it. Oh, yeah, you'll do it. You are doing it. We're doing it. But it hurts a little. But it's, it's weighty. <laughs> and you know what's even more weighty than that? It's to think about doing that uh, without my friends by my side and their faithful example to look to. This is costly. If you're going to do something for the Lord, it's going to cost you. And it's beautiful. The most precious, valuable things that the kingdom has to offer always come at this kind of beautiful cost. Church, it is costly to be in the service of the Lord. And that is precisely what makes your service beautiful to him. The modern sales pitch is that it is the free gift of salvation. But in reality, although salvation is never earned, it comes at the cost of every other thing. If you got saved and it was free, if your walk has been free, you were lied to. Do you like to spend time with your kids? You enjoy Sabbaths with your grandkids? A kingdom that costs you nothing is worth nothing to you. It's like being a proud MAGA supporter. A strong NRA guy. I paid $35. I'm in. If it costs you nothing, it's worth nothing to you. However... A kingdom that cost you everything is worth everything to you in order to obtain it. Yes. It's the moments when the will of God causes you to obey at great cost that are truly beautiful moments between you and Jesus. They show you how much he means to you and they are beautiful to him because they prove the extent to which you actually value his kingship in your life. Christians that don't experience the loss of all things will also not experience the gaining of everything that truly matters. It is foundational to our faith to offer what feels like it costs us the most in beautiful obedience to the kingdom of God. These moments are not easy. And that's kind of the point.
if you will only do what's easy for Jesus, can you rightly call him your king? On the other hand, if you will offer him the most costly and precious acts of obedience, then you can truly know that he is your unrivaled king. Let's talk about costly, foundational, beautiful things. First Kings 5, 17 will get us there. At the king's command, at the king's command, they quarried out great, costly stones in order to lay the foundation of the house with dressed stones. So Solomon's builders and Hiram's builders and the men of Gabal did the cutting and prepared the timber and the stone to build the house. You know, it's important that every man in his life should acquire some hefty, precious stones. Yes, yes. It's foundational to manhood. I'm talking about the kind that you could build a whole house with. Something big, sturdy, costly, and precious. Now the first great and costly foundational stone I want to talk to you about is the stone that leads a person to lay down their expectations and projected outcomes, no matter the cost. First foundational stone, laying down your expectations and projected outcomes, no matter the cost. Because if you'll only do something if it turns out the way you anticipated it to do, are you really doing it for the Lord or are you doing it for the desired outcome? Or can you even call that faith? This is a foundational stone that has been true since the day I started walking with the Lord. Since I got drug in here by Gabriel Stevens. Every expectation and projection I had for my life, every single expectation and projection, it was well-meaning but it actually settled for something less than what the Lord was aiming at. I had well-meaning business plans when I came to LCM. And I turned from that at the direction of the Lord. And that became the first foundational stone that was laid in my life. The first time I could say I'm doing something that costs me something for the Lord. And it became like a precious foundational stone in my walk of faith. Fast forward a little bit, we had expectations, projected outcomes, even dreams about Turkey and the region of a swan being our first step. First step. First step. Oh, it's got to be first. Got to be number one. We're going to Turkey. Mm. And that's how we're going to reach the nations. But this foundational stone of being able to lay down our expectations and projected outcomes at great cost and being willing to follow the leading of the Lord and admit we missed it means that our friends in Romania do not have to wait any longer. Isn't that good news? Recently, meaning yesterday, yesterday, very recent. This foundational stone 
once again has guarded my life and our team. What I thought I was trying to complete at work, for the Lord, of course, actually was not his plan and my expectation and my projected outcome, it proved to be deficient in what the Lord's ultimate direction was. My expectation for my job was that I would work very hard and I would be compensated for my labor to the tune of about $25,000. As in a bonus above the salary. Yeah, but based on a technicality within the company. Watch out for what the bold print gives you, the fine print taketh away. Yeah. Based on that technicality within the system, unless I moved my launch date to a later date, I would not receive any of the bonus compensation for the work that I had already completed. You can go out of Egypt, just leave your women and children. You can, you can go out of Egypt, just leave your livestock. Hey, buddy, I won't leave a hoof behind. It's going to cost you. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Now, that doesn't mean that the last 10 months of my life were for nothing. Go ahead. You all know how hard (laughs) Pastor Payton works. You know, for the last 10 months, this man wakes up at 6 a.m., may not get home till 9 p.m., and still finds time to spend with you, to disciple, to spend with this family? That's costly. But he's considered it a beautiful thing to lay down at the feet of Jesus. He's missed the life-giving speech in our unity meetings. He's missed lots of the things that we do to edify people because he was putting people back together in an ER. But the projected outcome is this is worth it for a short time because it will help fund the ministry that we're going to do. And it's a beautiful thing to light that money on fire because we value unity with him right now more than the money we would be gaining. Since we're on the subject, we have notes, but we don't serve our notes. We serve God Almighty and the leading of the Spirit. Do not miss the life-giving speech of your team unity formations. Do not miss Mashlomka. I had expectations and a projected outcome that I'm committed to serving my team and doing whatever it costs, no matter how much it hurts. Do not make the mistake that I made in missing the precious time that you have with the family. Because God might cause you to be able to have to give it up at a moment's notice. And that one's free of charge. Don't miss your meetings. Don't give up meeting together. Don't forsake any Anything that we have in this room. I can tell we're going to go long. Yes. We got 40 minutes of notes that we're going to preach for hours. Let me throw one more free one in there. Oh, get it. Don't be in the meeting. <laughs> and absent from the meeting during life-giving speech. Don't be so self-obsessed that you only care about the life-giving speech you gave to someone. Listen. And God might speak. He might help you. He might edify you. These are not vain Catholic rituals to be done so that you can absolve yourself of sin. They are to build a beautiful thing. So those 10 months were not in vain. And 
at the end of the day, I love my king. And he doesn't need the money. What he values, though, is the costly sacrifice of the things that have value to me. And for the record, I give it all with joy. Yeah. And maybe a few tears. Some tears. You know, I found merit in all these endeavors that I just spoke to you about. And what's unique about them is I could speak very boldly about them and how sure I was about the direction of my life and where the things should end up. I had very accurate projections of where things should be. However, I was wrong. I was well-meaning, though, but wrong. It was all for Jesus, and we were surprised that Jesus didn't want it to go the way we did. I know none of you have experienced that. You haven't worked really hard to make sure that you could be seen as a teacher of the materials we put out. And then been devastated that one of your brothers was chosen rather than you. I mean, it was all for Jesus, but when it doesn't happen, I'm really hurt. Was it all for Jesus? If you're really hurt by it, was it all for Jesus? It should be a beautiful thing to give up things that hurt because they show your devotion to the king. So... Let me ask you this question. Do you have your own ideas of how your life should play out? Are you so sure of what your life is supposed to be that you're unwilling to change no matter how many confirmations the Lord gives you? Because you think you have it figured out. Oh, I got a five-year plan. I got a five-year plan, and I got scriptures to back it up. I know exactly how my life. It's going to play out. Let me know how that works out for you. Are the promises to your family and your life surrounded by volumes of your own projections about how you will attain it? This foundational stone of being willing to give up those expectations. Your ideal outcomes for yourself will allow you to be moved by the Lord no matter how far off track that you've gotten. Being able to lay down your expectations at a moment's notice, even if you found yourself going the opposite way, will save your life and get your calling back on track. My life is proof of this. I'm speaking from my own experiences. As in the last 48 hours. Uh, like the last 48 hours. I was so convinced that I was doing God's will. I was devoted. I was committed to the Lord. I was devoted. I was committed to my brothers. I was devoted. I was committed to my family. And nothing could back me off of it because I knew what God's will was until I found out I was wrong. Someone say, praise God for my team. Praise God. The Lord in his sovereignty and the faithfulness of a unified team, we found the leading of the Spirit. We found the leading of the Spirit and we abandoned our expectations 
And we have assumed the costs associated so we can continue to build on the costly foundational stones that are being laid. Do you love anybody enough in this world? Are you so committed to other disciples that you would give up a $25,000 bonus to spend the next nine days with your brothers? That's interesting. It's worth thinking about. Yeah. Not to mention we had to change all of our flights. It's not cheap. Thank you, Miss Jen. Spurgeon said, said it well. Many, owe, many men owe the grandeur of their lives to tremendous difficulties. <laughs> Think of that next time you feel great. Men find the grandeur of their life tied to the tremendous difficulties, very costly situations that they've gone to. If you will embrace the tremendous difficulties, though, if you will embrace the uncomfortable seasons in your life and entrust yourself to the one who will exceed your expectations, then you will never fail to have a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing to offer him as you complete your calling and your purpose in him. Church, everything that we're talking about is what this church has been built on. The foundation of this church are costly stones that cost you something. But let me tell you something. We haven't yet reached the culmination of it. So much so as the initiation of launching arrows. We're not reaching the climax, the fulfillment of what this has cost us. We're only beginning. Church, are we done sending families to that region? Or you, have you reached your Christian zenith, your Christian perfection, and now you can just coast? Well, that means that we got some costly stones to go quarry out and build with. When I look at the quality of men being sent, the quality of pastor's wives, the quality of children, like Miss AJ. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, Trista, I hadn't been around for a long time, but I've been around for a good time. And I've been around long enough to see what it took to get us to this point. And if I wasn't around for it, I went back and heard it through sermons about what it took to build what we are currently living in. The task of preparing men for their works of service is not one done, done up here on the stage preaching an awesome message. That's part of it, for sure. But it's not it. It's about making our lives an offering before the Lord when it costs something. And being able to do that while on full display. That is what has been done for the generations of ministers who have gone out from this work and began their own. And it's also what's being done for us. And you know what? It's what must be done for this to continue. I've been party to the toil. I've been there for the disappointment. I've been there for the successes and the failures that are a daily part of our service to the king and to this body. I've watched this house and I've watched your lives be built with costly stones. You know, it's not fun to tell somebody, hey, you are completely off. 
you are completely wrong and I love you, but this is just stupid. It's not fun because I, I do love you. And that's what it takes to build somebody's life. We're going to get to do for others exactly what has been done for us. Think about what's been done for you as you've come into this church. Now put yourself in the driver's seat because it's what's coming. As a matter of fact, it's what's happening now. We will reproduce exactly what we've come from. Yes. I want to remind you of what the Lord has spoken to this church through prophecy, through the word, and the affirmation of just walking out a faithful life. God has brought these things about. We will have 12 domestic springs in the U.S. And we will send over 100 families to the Middle East. And I've seen the day in and day out faithfulness and faithful living that's required. And it's costly. If it's cheap, if it's easy, buddy, you're not doing it right. You're not lifting that right. I've seen the physical toll that it takes on the body. I've seen the pressures. I've seen the conviction to be a living sacrifice. That is best found for me as I look at a man like Nicola Aragina. <laughs> See, what makes uh, Pastor Nick's life so costly and so precious to me is not the amazing things that he finds in the word. And that is definitely a part of it. It's not his strength of character. And that is something I want to be like so much. I've watched this man in the midst of difficulty when he could have chosen an easier route decide that the king is worth it. And I've watched him do it not one day. I've watched him do it day in, day out, day in, day out. I got to spend a lot of time with Pastor Nick uh, when I worked for my previous employer at the shop. And I got to watch him pastor his home. I got to watch him go through difficulty after difficulty. And I saw the day that he had. And then I ended up at his house later on. And I saw what came from it. Man, that's costly. And it is what's required of us. Acts 20, 28 says you have to watch yourselves and watch the sheep. That's a costly part of ministry, guys. We don't just get to go and talk and say the right things. We actually have to circumcise our heart first and then share what comes from that circumcision. That's costly. But it's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful before you saw the result, but it's even more beautiful because I can see what God is doing in your lives as a result of it. Costly foundational stones aren't just when you can see the placards on the wall, speak the lingo, know what was preached. Costly foundational stones is what happens after it's preached, the day after, when you have to work it into your soul so that it becomes a part of your life, especially when it costs you something. This is what builds the kingdom for our king. Amen. It's a costly thing. Oh, but it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Some booth rule that verse back one to 1 Kings 5, 17. While y'all are looking at that, great and costly foundational stones, the kind that build the house of God, well, they're a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, when I say that, your mind might drift to thoughts of sunset at the beach. 
a majestic mountain peak or an event that <sighs> took my breath away. When the Lord is laying foundational stones in your life, the experience is a beautiful thing that steals your breath and leaves you gasping for air under the pressure of what you now know that you must do. I'm talking about a beautiful thing that turns your stomach inside out and makes you and others question your sanity. Placing a truly costly stone that is foundational feels like death while you're doing it and is resurrection after it's done. If the feeling of loss doesn't cause your natural senses to be perplexed, then the stone is not quite as precious as you claim it is and your king requires it to be. The kind of foundational stone that builds the house of God is the kind that requires your death so that others might live. In other words, foundational stones are beautiful because they are laid in the very spirit of Christ. They place the welfare of everyone else above your own. And they cause you to lay down your life and your desires for the lives of others and the desires of God. Beautiful foundational stones require you to decrease in some way that others might increase. And that's how you build the house of God. And it must be well built. I'm talking about set out to build a ministry. See your friends added to it. Make sure that their lives are financed. Then put the ministry into their hands. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Write discipleship training during sleepless hours on airplanes between more than 20 countries. Then give it to other men to teach. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Write, teach, record ministry training one and two. During a season of apostasy among your friends. The death of your own children. And the most turbulent times that this ministry has ever faced. Then watch other people treat it with laxity. Or worse yet, criticize it. And leave it in their hands anyway. Oh, that's a beautiful thing. Raise your sons and disciples to the place that they have truly become your equal and more. In fact, you see them as the most valuable of your co-workers in the kingdom and the most useful to your life in every situation. Even to the point where you're nervous not to be around them because they're a better version of you and remind you what you should be. Then send them into a nation who does not yet know just how precious they actually are and valuable they are. Well, that's a beautiful thing. Why are these things beautiful? Because nobody but you and Jesus understand just how difficult they were for you to do. But Jesus knows, and you know that they were breathtakingly hard, and you did them anyway. Purely out of devotion to the kingdom of God. You did them for no other reason then Jesus made such a costly sacrifice for your redemption 
All that you want to do is reciprocate with the most costly actions you can for him. This is what makes the process beautiful to both you and to Jesus. Luke 6, 47 says, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and, oh my God, does them. Not hear them. Hears them and does them. I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house. Not a boy building a house. A man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Foundational costly stones are the ones that a man has to dig down deep just to do. The actions that feel like they're definitely going to break you. But they don't. They build the house of God. And that house must be well built. Our king will only use the most costly of materials to build his house. Who are they costly for? The creator? I mean, he's the creator. What could be costly to him? Bars of gold. What's costly to him? No, they're costly to you. And that is why he values them. They're monuments to his kingship and memorials to the obedience that accompanies your faith. Man, I have no more costly materials to offer for the foundation of the Lord's house and the One Association Europe than to joyfully offer Nick Massey, Judah Stevens, Peyton Parsons, and Nick Garagina. They will build the temple of the Lord in many countries. And that house will be built upon and filled with beautiful things. Before we move to the writings, I want to read you a poem. Because that's how you think about me. A man who loves poetry. No, it's true. I don't share every detail with every person that comes through this church. But those of you that know me know that I love poetry. It's beautiful because the man who wrote it filled his life with costly and beautiful actions for Jesus Christ. This is by C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clay I must fulfill, 
living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow thy word to keep. Faithful and true, whate'er the strife, pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love burn with, or with fervor burn. And from the world now, let me turn. Living for thee and thee alone. Bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "Twas worth it all." Yeah. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Somebody say that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing. This house is built on costly and beautiful things. It is literally filled with them. Through and through. But I want to tell you that we are not done in doing costly and beautiful things for Christ. I will soon leave, but Pastor Justin and the rest of you will remain. And that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. We're still inspired from men like C.T. Studd and the things that he wrote. Only what's done for Christ will last. But the future generations will glean their encouragement and inspiration from the beautiful things and the costly things that you have done. They will look at your lives and be strengthened in their faith as they complete their calling. Let's turn to one of the most important concepts that I've learned during my time at LCM, and it's found in the writings in 1 Chronicles verse, chapter 21, picking up in 23. As you're turning there, say beautiful. Beautiful. Then Ornan, or Aruna, said to David, take it and let my lord the king do what seems good to him. See, I give the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing threshing sledges for the wood and the wheat for the grain offering. I give it all. But the king said to Ornan, no, but I will buy them for the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours, nor offer burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Church, our attitude has always been a full price attitude. Say full price. Full price. We are the people of the eternal, fraternal order of the DCD who will not back up 
let up or shut up about the kingdom of God. It's because we don't care a damn about what this world has to offer because we're consumed with disciples creating disciples who do costly deeds. Do costly deeds. Through and through, this body of believers is DCD. You do costly deeds. I have the utmost confidence in this community of believers to continue to strengthen each other and to contend at the gates of hell no matter the cost. I want you to take a moment as we're in 1 Chronicles 21 to put yourself in the sandals of David for just a moment. Too often, we view seasons of making a full price sacrifice and view it with rose-colored glasses. We're going to give all. And by all, I mean the words I just spoke and nothing more. All words, all fluff, no substance. It's a beautiful thing, man. It took my breath away. I gave all I had in the junk drawer. Think about David for a moment. David just ordered a census of his army out of fear. And this, of course, angered the Lord who gave him three options. Do you want three years of famine for your fearful actions? Or three months of enemies overtaking you? Or do you want three days of the sword of the Lord? I want to tell you that you will have times in your life where you will make mistakes. You're going to get it wrong. But you're They're gonna... shocked. They're shocked. They didn't know that. <laughs> you are going to make mistakes. And you're going to be left with three choices. Do you want famine? Do you want foe? Or do you want your father? I choose the father. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Men who fail to choose, and who fail, and after failing, you choose to be recluse and remove yourself from the fellowship of believers. You're like a man who chooses famine when he could have had the father. Men who fail. And then you find yourself gaining some kind of sick validation by letting your circumstances and other people rule over you. You're like the one who chose the foe. Jesus is calling. Yeah, he wants them to turn off their phone. Yeah. He's on the main line, but he doesn't want you to tell him what you want. He's going to tell you what he wants. He's going to tell you what he wants. But when you are like David, when you're like David and you know the character of your God, that he's great and merciful, you fall into his hands when you fail. But then you rise up and you purchase the place where his presence is going to dwell. On the backdrop of your crushing moments is a costly sacrifice that purchases the place where God wants to be. It's full price. To you, and it's a beautiful thing to the Lord. We're not quite out of David's sandals just yet. David was a king. He was mighty in valor. He was able to take on his thousands, and yet the most precious things, the most costly things that we find from David are in the Psalms. 
when he'd been, he's been stripped of his own strength. He's been stripped of getting it right. And you get to watch him run to the arms of his father. Go read the Psalms. Rather than grow bitter at the moments that costed him dearly, grow bitter at all of the circumstances and the enemies that were swirling around him looking for his life, he displayed supernatural trust and devotion to his God. You want to build with costly stones like we're talking about? It's going to require you to be stripped of your own strength, stripped of your own intellect and predict, project an outcome of how things are going to turn out. It's also going to cause you to quit acting like God owes you something. Yeah. Those of you carrying around promises and you're like, I know the Lord said it, so he has to do it. You better be careful talking like that. He is a good and benevolent father, and if he actually spoke it, he will do it, but it will never come from a petulant attitude. No. The Psalms show the breaking of a man so that he can find the beautiful yeah. life of Christ, where he does it in the way that he wants to do it, that involves your death and resurrection. The hurt that speaks about what God owes them is tainted with something that does not belong in the life of a believer. David was a man who built with costly stones, not of his own greatness, but with a desperate dependence on the Lord and a commitment to entrust himself to the Lord. And you're not going to find that desperate dependence until you're actually in a situation that requires it. You may be bleeding profusely out of your nose. <laughs> like hypothetically, hypothetically, since Tuesday until this morning when you were healed. Yeah, praise God. But you know what's cool about that? It didn't cost me anything. It was strange. It's about it was about two pints of blood, but yeah. it didn't cost him anything. <laughs> but you, you know what I saw? That's an object lesson for what we're doing right now. Yeah. It's an object lesson for what we're doing next week. We're going to give the king costly things, beautiful things, and he will turn and he will set that and its alignment in the foundation of the temple. David didn't turn away when something difficult was required of him. He ran to the Lord, difficult as it may be. Yeah. The Lord sees what is difficult for you, and when you run and do it anyway because you trust him, saints, he considers that a beautiful thing. Yeah. What beautiful thing might you be robbing yourself of when you run away from that which is difficult for you? No, that's what makes it beautiful. The things that are easy for us, the thing that we can do without a second thought, without actually needing to be dependent and get on our knees before God, those things are cheap. He wants, you, he wants to look at you and say, hey, I'm proud of you. He wants you to look back at your life and say, hey, Lord, I know I didn't get it all right, but I gave you everything I had. That's Not what everything I didn't need. Everything I desperately wanted and would like to hold close, but found it beautiful to offer to you. Yeah. Psalm 116 says in verse 15, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Yeah. Oh Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows in the presence 
of his people. Church, we are those who have had our bonds loosed. Right now, God is loosing the bonds. And the bonds that I'm talking about is the desire to hold back that which is costly. The desire to, to isolate ourselves from a situation that actually cost us something so that we can produce something that's beautiful for the Lord. He's removing that from us today. He has loosed your bonds. And when he does that, he does it to remind you of who you are. You are a son servant. You have been called by my name and I have called you in the service. And you get to offer costly things before the Lord. And not only that, you get to do it together. When we do this, my brothers and my sisters, it is like a sweet smelling aroma that rises before the Lord and pleases the father who made us. Everybody take your right hand and raise it. Now put your right hand on your neighbor and pray, God give them alertness. Amen, we're gonna kick into a new gear. My friends, we are stepping over the precipice of the greatest expansion of the gospel in the lifetime of this community. You've learned today the priesthood of God is ordained at the cost of families. But that is a beautiful thing. The house of God's foundation is laid on the footings of costly stones. But that is a beautiful thing. The attitude that propels the expansion of the kingdom is one that says, I will not offer my Lord something that has cost me nothing. It is beautiful when your devotion causes you to offer what is most costly to you in response to the costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ. This is what the house of LCM must be filled with. I came into the priesthood by separating from my Samaritan relatives. My sons, daughter, and disciples have been sown into the work of God. The foundational stones of teaching in this house have been laid at a very great personal cost. I will not offer the Lord something that costs me nothing. I want you to know that I have not one regret in this life, except that I only have this one life to offer him. Do you want to learn how to labor in deeds that reverberate through eternity? Do you want to offer something that your Lord considers truly beautiful? Start looking in places that are the most difficult for you to do. You're going to have to break something to build something. If it doesn't hurt, then heaven didn't ask for it. Because what is costly to you is what is considered beautiful in his eyes. Let's take a hard, fast look at the gospel of Mark. Discover the 14th chapter. Then land your little finger on the third verse. Yeah, somebody say beautiful. Beautiful. Somebody say beautiful better than that. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment, of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scoffed. 
scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. To do a beautiful thing for the Lord, it must be costly to you personally. The least of what I'm talking about is money. You think that it's hard to give financially? That's funny. Start thinking about sending your sons and daughters to foreign lands and you'll find out exactly how easy the money part is. But since I broached the subject of money, 300 denarii is a year's wages at this time. For the average American, that would mean this jar, broken in a beautiful moment, was worth $60,000 in today's pricing. Notice that the crowd thought this was wasteful. Lavish, costly actions on behalf of Jesus Christ always seem wasteful to those that don't value the kingdom above every other thing. But how did Jesus see the action? That's right. He called it a beautiful thing done to him. Why? Why did Jesus think that? Why did Jesus say that? Well, precisely because it was at great cost for the woman to do it. How devoted was she to his kingship? How much did she want to reciprocate the great cost of Jesus' ministry in her own life? The answer is so much that she lavishly broke a very costly jar just to have one anointed minute with the king that she loves so much. What does breaking the jar look like in your life? Do you still dream of financial success for your children so that they don't have to struggle as you have? You might have to break that jar and prepare your children to do truly beautiful things in the eyes of their God. That's a twofer. It's beautiful that you did that and it's beautiful that they will do it. Do you still look forward to the day that you can retire and live a life of ease and probably die an early death with an unproductive life? You might have to break that jar and pour out all you have for this one life you've been gifted with. I mean, that is if you want something more than a generic epitaph. <laughs> Do you want to have deeds that follow you into eternity? Do you? Find a way to break the jar in costly service. Heaven will call it beautiful. And it will be remembered into eternity. You know when Jesus figuratively broke his jar? It was his body. His father saw it as a beautiful thing. Are you guys getting enough sleep? I mean, uh, are you conserving yourself for your next Marathon Netflix binge. Maybe breaking the jar for you looks like doing something that you truly find difficult for absolutely no other reason than you wanted to find a way to express devotion to your king. You're called to be priest. That ordination comes at a price. You're called to build the house of God. The stones you build with must be costly to you personally. 
You're called to pay the full price for the one who paid the full price for you. That cannot be done with offerings that cost you nothing. This is LCM, and the Lord has reserved beautiful acts of service for every one of you in this room. They were destined for you from the moment that the Lord ordered your footsteps and prepared work in advance for you to do. If it's going to be called beautiful by him, then it must be personally costly to you. It's an odd thing. What is costly to one man is actually easy for another. I assure you that our unrivaled king wants the areas that are truly costly to you so that it can be called beautiful by him. <sighs> Abby, Judah and Sasha, Titus, Benaiah, Yoshev, Jehu, Hadassah, Nick, Sam, AJ, Ezra, Elijah, Peyton, Hannah, River, Basileum, Barzillai, They're beautiful things, and I'm gladly dying in more ways than I can express to see their service offered before my king. Perhaps now is the moment that the Lord is speaking to your faith to rise in costly actions for your works of service, and that the Lord will see as beautiful because it hurt deeply for you to do it. There could be no more important decision that you make than what kind of deeds are going to follow you into eternity. Amen. As for me, I will not spend my strength searching out for a magical algorithm of success. My king wants my alabaster jar, and I have broken it for him. And I know that it's beautiful in his eyes. Even if the world sneers and says it's wasteful. Perhaps we should go to John 12. Yes. Say beautiful. beautiful. We are going to close at some point. But as you are wondering where your alabaster jar is, I want you to begin even praying to yourself as the power of God begins filling this room. John 12 is the parallel passage, and we're going to pick up in verse 1, where it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled, filled, filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with it. Filled. 
every corner filled with her beautiful sacrifice. But what can we glean from such a beautiful example set by this woman? With her silent sacrifice, she knelt at the feet of Jesus and she poured out her most costly possession. Very likely, the one thing she had that made her feel that she was beautiful. Without external pressure coercing her to act, being forced into it, emotionally manipulated into it. No, she humbly gave what was beautiful to her, what was costly to her. Not just beautiful, but costly. And among the noisy talkers and those just waiting to scold her around the table, in quietness, she pours out her tears. And the most valuable thing she has simply out of her devotion for the king. My goodness, she even wipes his feet with her hair. With her hair. Do you know that the glory of a woman is her hair? What message does that speak to you this morning? Are you willing to let your glory be let down to bless the feet of Jesus? Are you willing to give all? Even at great cost, simply to say, I am devoted to you, Jesus, and this means so much to me to give to you. But it pales in comparison to getting to be near you. She didn't want to be noticed for her great sacrifice, nor did she want to be applauded or even remembered. Remember, her, her, her actions were silent. All you could probably hear is a slight sniffle and maybe a teardrop hitting the feet of Jesus as her hair wipes his feet. She didn't want to be remembered or noticed for it. But her actions of righteous reciprocity because of her devotion, devotion to Jesus were so beautiful that Jesus makes sure that they will never be forgotten. In Mark 14 verse 9 it says, I tell you the truth. Do you want the truth? Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Church, I want to tell you that the humble are the ones who make history. And the haughty are the ones who just make horror stories. You want to do something great for Christ? You're going to have to let your glory be laid down at the feet of Jesus. Simply out of your devotion. Like a type of righteous reciprocity. Now, this begs a question. When we're reading John 12, when we're reading Mark 14, where are you at the table? Have you thought about that? Examine the actions of your life and the attitude of your heart. Where at the table do you sit today? Are you the one doing beautiful things? Or are you among the tearless rabble who like to observe from a distance and discount the costly sacrifice being offered? Why'd they light $25,000 on fire for nine days of unity? Why would they do that? seems so wasteful. Where are you at the table? Where are you at the table? Can you look at families giving the most precious things in their life? And simply because you don't feel the emotional pull, you find yourself so obtuse to say, is it really worth that much to them? Or are they just trying to make a scene? 
I can wow. promise you that's not the case. Wow. There's many ways we'll make a scene, but that was not one of the ones we intended. That's not the one we intended. And I know many of you, maybe you don't identify with it, but I wrote it into this sermon because I identify with it. I've done that. But if that's not you, how about this one? Have you become so self-focused that you find yourself just simply cold, a little numb, even distant from the costly stones that are being laid all around you? A little cold, a little distant because you don't identify with everything going on because you have your own things going in your life. I know I've been all of those. I've been those people sitting around the table until, say until. Until. Until the day that I found my alabaster jar and I got up from the table and I broke it at the feet of Jesus. I'll tell you right now, you got a closet full of alabaster jars. Yeah. You just don't know it. He allows you to discover them one at a time in the most difficult, costly, painful, and beautiful ways. And you think it's the only one you have to give. And then a few years goes by and you realize it's time for another one you didn't know you had until it hurt your heart quite the way that it does. For those devoted to beautiful things, the aroma of their offering will fill the earth for eternity. And it's beautiful. It's time to fill this house with the aroma of Christ. The costly and beautiful actions that display ultimate devotion. This woman filled the house with perfume, church, and so will you. I love my church. Have I said that enough? I love my church. And when I look out at you, I see the same setting here in John 12. Lazarus, loved by Jesus and raised by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's what I see when I look at you. I see dead people. Dead no longer. You are like Lazarus who was brought from death to life. He resurrected you. And what do you think Lazarus did for the rest of his life? Let me tell you something, church. Don't waste your resurrected life. He's giving it to you now. You're not waiting for it. He's giving you a resurrected life now. But the question is, what will you do with it? The answer is to break your alabaster jar at the feet of King Jesus. Now it is time to fill the house with the aroma of Christ through our, our costly and beautiful actions. Some of you have identified an alabaster jar. It looks something like, for some of you, like It's true. I need to fully commit to that. But the thing is, is I have to finish this where I live right now. What happens if your anointed moment passes you by? And are you really just trying to lessen the cost of your present obedience? I've known more than one family. It's like, I know the Lord has said to do this, so I've got a six-week plan To do it. What you're trying to do is make the breaking of that jar not so costly. Not so traumatic. Not so difficult. This woman did it in an instant. The equivalent of $60,000 poured out on the head and feet of Messiah. He didn't ask for it. For no other reason than she wanted one anointed moment with him while he was in the room. 
Can I tell you he's in the room? If you've identified a jar, it's time to break that jar. If you wait till another day, well, I'm going to tell you the antithesis of the actions of this beautiful thing done by Mary is the merchants that were in commerce with the whore of Babylon. They also brought costly things to their whore, but it was because they expressly wanted gain in this world. Not the next, this world. Revelation 18, 11, and the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her. Poor whore, poor, poor whore. Since no one buys their cargo anymore, cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple. Man, this list goes on. They found so many alabaster jars. Look at verse 14. The fruit for which your soul longed. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. And all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of torment, her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Church, can I tell you that what you allow your soul to long after it's one of the most important decisions that you have to make. These merchants brought costly things to the whore for the purpose of enriching themselves in this life. We are bringing costly acts of service to the very real detriment of ourselves in this life that we might participate in the life of Christ in the world to come. Please don't, please don't think that living your best life right now has no eternal cost. That's simply not true. It's a lie being sold to everyone. Numbers 11.4 says, Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Their souls longed for something. And the people of Israel wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The rabble among Israel thought that the fish was free. They thought it was free of cost. But what was the cost in Egypt? They were slaves. Living without costly service and without beautiful things done for the Lord is a slavish life that ends at your death with a generic epitaph and plunges you into eternal fire. That's the truth that most churches will not tell you. There is no easy way to be saved. There is no costless way to be saved. It has to be full of costly, precious actions that our king says is beautiful. You're going to spend your life on something. Will it be whorish gain? Or deeds that echo into eternity. Church, you are not rabble. You're royal. It's time to fill this house with the perfume of Christ. Things 
that are done by rising in your faith to break your jar. Breaking out of earthly thinking to do things that are beautiful in eternity. Has a costly action on behalf of Jesus Christ come to your mind during this meeting? Don't wait. The moment might pass you by. Mary couldn't do this the next day. She could only do it right then. It was her only opportunity. And that one brief action that was so costly and hurt so much and was criticized and seemed wasteful. It's written about in the word of God and demanded to be proclaimed with the gospel everywhere the gospel is proclaimed. You have a chance to do such beautiful things in the Lord's eyes. That they will follow your proclamation of the gospel everywhere you go. You won't be able to help but talk about them. You have only one life. And it will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. This is a beautiful moment. That requires a beautiful response. And the good news for you. Is that response is entirely up to you. There is no circumstance that can hold you back from it. There are circumstances you might let hold you back from it. But it doesn't depend on the feelings or actions of any other human being. It depends on your level of devotion to the king of kings. Don't you let this beautiful moment pass you by without having done a beautiful thing to Jesus. Church, you can rise to your feet. You only have one life. I only have one life. That means I only have a few times that I get to stand here and speak to this body. What would be your next righteous action if you knew that Jesus was in the room? Because he is in this room. And he's waiting to see if you're going to grab your alabaster jar or if you're going to stay eating your food, watching everyone else. But remember, we got one life. We might only get one chance to do something great for our king, and it's going to come at a very, very high cost. One of the things I learned early on in discipleship is you might get one chance to be a hero for Christ. You might get one chance to hit your mark and do something great for the king of kings. But at least you can wake up every day and choose to not be a coward. That served me so well. I'm speaking to this body. I'm speaking to those that will hear this later on. But I want all the young men in this body to listen to me. That has saved my life time and time again. To wake up every day and say, I will not be a coward. Can I tell you in the pursuit of not being a coward that I actually found courageous acts to do for my king? 
And it wasn't that I knew beforehand it was going to cost me as much as it did, nor did I know it was going to produce the greatest expansion in the history of our community. I just knew that Jesus had done something great in my life, and I wanted to do something courageous for him. And the best part is it's not done on a public stage. What's beautiful are the things that none of you have seen. What's beautiful are the nights laying on my floor crying out to God, saying, Lord, I don't want riches, nor do I want to be great, but will you give me something for these people? Will you give me what they need, mighty God? Can I tell you that was the greatest battle? My greatest enemy is myself. And if I can kill my selfishness, Say, Lord, I have one life. Help me live it well. I know that he's going to help me. And I know he's going to do the same for you because you have an alabaster jar. You just got to pick it up. And get to the feet of Jesus. Begin to pour it out. And wipe his feet. Let him be wet with your tears. As we're thinking about those costly stones, as you're considering what costly price you have to pay, I want to read 1 Corinthians 3, picking up in 10 as we close. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take great care how you build upon that foundation, church, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as though through fire. As we close this morning, we're going to pass it off to Pastor Linton, who is one of the greatest men that I know. Along with Pastor Big Country and Pastor Bim, the general, mighty men of God who have been living this message out for years, and they're the men who are going to help you find your alabaster jar and spend the one life that we have and do it well and save no cost for ourselves, but give all for Christ. You know what I know about these men? What I know about my pastors, Jesus is going to look at you and say, what you have done is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing, Judah. It's a beautiful thing, Nick. But they're not the only ones. We get to bring to our king that which cost us personally, which was difficult for us. And he's going to look at you and say, what you did for me was a beautiful thing. Church, if I can tell you anything, 
Don't let this life's difficulties rob you of the beautiful thing that you can present to the king. Don't waste your life any longer by isolating it from the difficulty and the pain and the struggle and the dependence that comes with doing what God has told you to do. Give him that alabaster jar. Break it over his feet. Let it be beautiful. Let it be costly. Let him look at you and say, what you have done for me was a beautiful thing. If you're going to come to this altar, come to it with your alabaster jar. And if you don't know what it is, he will show you at this altar. And when you get up, break the jar. Break the jar and fill this house with the aroma of Christ. Break the jar and fill it with your costly stones that he will build upon. Mighty God, we thank you, Lord God, that you have given us but one life, Lord. And we get to make it beautiful, mighty God. Lord, we get to fill it with a pleasant aroma, a pleasant fragrance, mighty God. We get to do it for you. And it is our joy to do so.